You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. So glad to see all of you. In fact, uh, if you uh, are just joining us or have joined us over the last five, six weeks, uh, you may have not seen me around because uh, I was on a sabbatical. And while away, I uh, did dearly miss you guys. Don't, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the, the time with family, uh, the rest. I was able to accomplish a lot of the writing that I was uh, hoping to do, praying to do, and uh, it was great. Again, Sabbath rest time, uh, but I did miss uh, many of you. Uh, not all of you, many of you. No, I missed you. I did. Even in, <laughs> I got teenagers rolling their eyes. They're talking about me here. Anyways, um, I did... Uh, I, it was, it was refreshing. It was the first time I was able to uh, join my family for worship uh, since really going into ministry. And so I really enjoyed worshiping with them, um, but I did miss you. I missed worshiping with you, and I'm glad to come back to partake in the Lord's Supper with you as well. Again, if you're visiting, want to know or get to know our church a little bit more, I uh, want to direct you real quick to these welcome cards. Um, if you weren't able to fill out any information when coming in, uh, feel free to fill this out. It should be in the seats right in front of you. Uh, you could be able to drop it off in the offering box. We'd love to connect with you over lunch, over coffee, and answer any questions that you may have about our church or any any. Else, um, we also use this for prayer requests, whether they be praises or, or burdens or, or people. It's confidential between our church staff, you and the Lord. Uh, but our church staff lifts these up each Monday morning uh, during our staff meeting, and we'd love to shepherd you via praying and meet with you to help with anything that we can um, as well. Again, really, really good to be back. And uh, while I was gone, you guys have been busy. Uh, you have. Uh, it was uh, great to be able to come back to here. Uh, these certain things, renovation, kids check-in looks amazing. Uh, excited for next week, uh, uh, another class to be starting. Uh, summer study, I heard, went really, really well. Uh, I left, and we were uh, $20,000 uh, in the whole budget-wise, which in the grand scheme of things is not that bad. But I come back, and we're 10,000 above, okay? In the lowest attended month of church, okay? Churches, all right? Lowest attended month and not a great, usually, usually financial month, and we're 10,000 above. I think our elders, I heard rumors that our elders were contemplating, texting me saying, hey, you can stay away a little bit longer, okay? Um, and, and speaking of that, that attendance part, uh, it was our highest attended uh, month uh, at our church since we started, even as a campus with Centerpoint, uh, for July. Uh, highest attended July uh, that we've had. Um, it seems like half of our college students got engaged. Um, uh, I, I got a text uh, at one point saying, don't respond back or anything, but there's nine people uh, pregnant in, in our church. Again, you guys have been busy, okay? Um, <laughs> And I think it is in the water, uh, and I told Joey we shouldn't have fixed that water fountain back there, okay? That's what happened. We fixed it right before left, and I come back, people get engaged and everything else. Um, but again, it's good to be back. I'm excited to share a little bit more at Servant Leadership Gathering this morning. I mean, I'm sorry, this evening, uh, but beyond anything with me or that, I'm excited for you guys to hear what God is doing in the midst of our church and some vision going forward, how you can be a part of that, join that. Um, uh, and so uh, make sure uh, to attend that. Joey shared a little bit more about that um, uh, in, during announcements. But let's get into God's word. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, oh, last thing I did want to say, I do want to thank uh, my church staff, our church staff, and our elders 
uh, for a while being gone, uh, just working hard, uh, help leading you guys. Again, so thank you uh, to all of staff and to all of elders and leading through uh, summer study and everything else over this time. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter is one of the most familiar chapters or passages in the entire Bible, people would say. The Hall of Faith. And although familiar, I want to ask that you read this, allow God to use it and speak to you with kind of like heart anew, with, um, with fresh eyes. Because uh, just because this is familiar, maybe you've grown up in church and you know the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, Old Testament characters, uh, passage, chapter in the Bible. Uh, let God really speak and use it uh, during this time. And so uh, in this first, we see a description of faith. Uh, all of what this chapter entails is faith, a description or definition of it, and then examples of it. Um, so first, let's see what faith is, a description of it. Verses 1 through 3 and verse 6 of Hebrews 11, God's word says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Skip the next few verses. We won't skip it. We will come back to it, but then read verse 6 in the same category of this being a definition, a description of faith. Verse 6, Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, talking about God. It is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you ever have asked what exactly is faith, these first three verses and verse six is a simple yet magnificent and great definition or description of faith. It is an assurance of things that you hope for. It is, as verse 1 entails, conviction of things that are not seen. It's a simple definition, but it's important. It's also important to note here that the author of Hebrews is now bringing up what he will later give as examples of this definition of such faith. Verse 2, for by it, by faith, the people of old, they receive their commendation. Now, I get distracted by the people of old. I'm like, that's not very nice, okay? That's why we say Old Testament characters, okay? But others is the people of, of old, all right? He's talking about the Old Testament characters that he's about to explain, show by faith. Look how they are either saved or they walk by that faith. As it says here at the end of verse 2, they receive their commendation, the definition of commendation is an award of highest praise or achievement to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something that he knows that is being taught by divine revelation or inspiration. And they receive an eternal commendation instead of an eternal condemnation or damnation. And that's the only two options we get. You're either going to be confirmed, approved, affirmed by the Lord or we will be condemned. And that this faith that they had, it was a messianic faith. Think about that in light of the definition 
that we read in verse 1. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They had an assurance that they invested in the promises of God and what they had hoped for. The things that they hoped yet unseen. That there was a promised deliverer who had not yet come. The future Messiah, Jesus, who as it says here, will in the end approve, accept you, not condemn you. It says in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So by his definition, now he's bringing up creation here. The universe was created by the word of God, something not seen, something that when you really think about it is fully understood, but sufficient, at least made visible and enjoyed in common grace right now that we can know and believe by faith. He created everything around us and that it's good. And so you think about like all the things regarding science, aliens, black holes, micro, macro, evolution. There will be mystery and things that we just cannot see or know as God created by his invisible word. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there or true. And we must believe by faith. Even in creation, we must believe by faith. And know this, even as we study this word, we see the examples of it, there will always be a bit of a secular pushback on all things faith. And a secular and a technological world and culture, there will be pushback against faith. Brett McCracken pointed this out when reviewing the latest Indiana Jones bomb of a movie. Um, some of you guys, who are, who's Indiana Jones fans in here? Okay, wow, one-fourth, okay? If you would have asked that like 20 years ago, like every, every, every hand, well, that's maybe why the movie bombed, okay? But he felt like it bombed for other reasons. He said this when reviewing it. Watching this film and considering it within the context of a four-decade-spanning franchise, he said, I also wonder if a lasting legacy of Indiana Jones is as a chronicle of disenchantment and faith's gradual erosion in a secular technology age. He said, with a life spanning the mid-20th century, Indiana Jones is a man in a transitional moment in history. He's pulled between the faith tradition of his father and the science of the future. Between a passing enchanted age and a rising secular modern world. And perhaps this is part of why the latter two Indiana Jones films, the last two Indiana Jones films, feel less engrossing than the earlier three, replacing supernatural miracles with the miracle of science and technology will always ultimately be a letdown. So the first three, when you have the steps of faith and the, the, the supernatural miracles, that he was a man of like, again, science and all these things, but there were some things he just can't explain that he had to trust. But then the last two, it can be explained now. He's saying that's part of the letdown with so many people. And this isn't what many people do, pitting, for example, science or reason against faith. We know science is beautiful and there's great truths that come out of that. That is God's truths. We know creation is beautiful. And as we pursue truth, not deny certain hypotheses or facts and conclusions, but through both, we know we worship 
the God that, as verse 3 says, we believe, no, created the universe by his word. That what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Because in the end, we can and should worship the God over the universe that he created that reveals himself. And no, you don't have to be ashamed of it as a Christian. There will be an element of faith involved when dealing with creation in the universe. That everything can't, won't be answered with a God of faith and miracles. And so now, we're going to skip a few verses and come back to them. But in efforts of still defining faith, read verse 6 again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What should stick out to you in verse 6 here? I know the word that sticks out to me is impossible. He says here in his word, it is impossible to please God without faith. That's how important it is. If you don't have faith, you can't please God. If you are anti-faith, you will not only be unable to please God, but you will not be able to draw near to God. And I read that and I hear that and I can't but help to compare or think how often the culture and the world and even media will portray that those with the religious faith is stupid, is an imbecile. Like the war, they say. Reason versus faith. And you can't have both. Atheist author William Harwood says this. The difference between faith and insanity. Faith and being insane is that faith, listen to his definition, faith is the ability to hold firmly to a conclusion that is incompatible with the evidence. Whereas the definition of insanity is the ability to hold firmly to a conclusion that is incompatible with the evidence. If you didn't get it, Cue up the office meme. It's the same picture right here. He gave the same definition saying that faith and being insane is both to hold firmly to a conclusion that's incompatible with the evidence. And of course, this is very much portrayed and perceived in culture and media, always pitting that faith against reason, communicating that one who has faith cannot also have reason. Yet, as we read here, faith is essential. It's essential for not only what we believe as Christians, but listen, it's essential for everyone. And everyone has faith. In fact, in Al Mohler's commentary on this book in Hebrews, he mentions how Norman Geisler and Frank Turk's apologetics book hints at this in its witty title, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. In it, they show in that book how all convictions on ultimate authority is based on faith commitments. Christians aren't people of faith while atheists are people of reason. Instead, everyone has an ultimate intellectual starting place, a system of beliefs or a worldview that is based on a set of assumptions or presuppositions that they have ultimate received, they have ultimately received by faith. 
So for example, atheists who are ultimately trusting in assumptions and presuppositions and secular naturalism or materialism, they still have faith. We all live by faith in someone and something. And again, verse 6, without faith, it says for us, it is impossible to please God. Like the empty hand of a beggar, faith reaches out and is the one that's receiving Christ. It's by faith we believe that he who is promised is able to perform and fulfill what he promises. He will fulfill it. That will be established. And so in conclusion of describing or defining that faith, before we look at the examples in the Old Testament of that faith, there's two types of faith that is described here. There is salvation by faith, and there is living by faith. And each one of these Old Testament examples, you're going to see both of them. Living by faith and salvation by faith. Let me explain both of those before we go through the Old Testament characters. Salvation by faith, the theological term, is justification. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called it the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. He called on pastors to take it back to the churches, to beat it into their heads continually. And as they did, the Reformation saw untold numbers of believers across Europe go willingly to the flames because they refused to loosen their grip on this single conviction. One of the Reformation's five solas, solified justification by faith alone, which is this, to be made righteous or be approved by God for salvation by faith alone. That you don't have to do anything, you cannot do anything to receive his acceptance, his righteousness for your unrighteousness. That it is by grace, but through you believing by faith. And we see this, again, interaction, this combination of faith and acceptance, righteousness and approval all throughout Scripture. You're going to see that in this chapter, but go back to Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. See the Apostle Paul saying, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. That's that faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due, and to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. That's why we see so much of faith's interaction with righteousness and God's acceptance in Scripture, that there is nothing we can do on our own or by our own works to receive that approval or righteousness needed to be saved by God of our sins, forgiven and freed to receive heaven over hell, and no one can do it for us or give it to us outside of Jesus. And it requires a faith or belief in him by God's grace. That is salvation by faith. But then you're going to see examples here in the importance of walking or living by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself to us. Because besides the justification part, there's a constant walk by faith that we must display or demonstrate. That we can be in sin even for not trusting or obeying God in this life because of it. Not losing our salvation, but in sin when we're not trusting God and walking by faith in certain times, seasons, and situations. Do not give in to the subtle 
temptation to embrace just justification alone. Yet try and do life and ministry in the flesh somehow. We must also live and walk by that faith. That every step we take toward the cross of Christ, we take in the same faith that brought us to the feet of Christ. That our every move is made in the full assurance of Christ's power, the complete sufficiency of his sacrifice, the overwhelming joy of his victory. And so like that first type of faith, salvific faith, it's intertwined with righteousness and God's acceptance. This type of faith of living by it, by walking in it, it's intertwined, as we see in the scriptures, with hope and assurance that when we trust and obey, we can do so with hope and assurance. And so that is our definition of faith. And here now we read the Hall of Faith, the famous Hall of Faith, a catalog of Old Testament biblical characters who function as examples of what we just defined. And as I mentioned, even though this, these stories in this passage is familiar, do not allow God to use his word and his spirit to speak this anew. It's in this chapter that God shows the very dangers of just moralizing these Old Testament heroes and stories, which often happens in kids' Sunday school classes. But here we see their messianic faith and how they walked in it. So here's that faith demonstration. Examples through Old Testament heroes. There's a total of 16. We'll cover six this morning and ten next week. Some of it is the examples of salvation by faith. Others are living by that faith. Both are in Jesus in that faith. And although they hadn't met him, they had assurance and hope in this upcoming Savior. Not what was but shadows before them. So first by faith we see verse 4. Abel offered a better sacrifice than brother Cain. Read with me verse 4 of Hebrews 11. By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So author Hebrews here, talking to not only the church, but the church today, the church back then, but the church today, he's bringing up these characters in Genesis showing that by faith they were saved or they walked and lived with the trust in God. And the first one he brings up is the sons of Adam and Eve, the very first people, Cain and Abel. And notice the wording that we mentioned when differentiating justification by faith and walking or living by faith. It says, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice through which he was commended as righteous, and God commended him by accepting his gifts, not because of the gifts, but instead by the first two words that this passage opens with, by faith. That if you read this story in Genesis 4, no one would have ever known the salvation taking place here as Abel in integrity trusted and obeyed God, giving him the more costly and acceptable sacrifice to God when giving him the firstborn of his flock over his brother's sacrifice, the first of his fruit from the, the ground. And of course, we all know some of the, the storylines in there, how his brother Cain killed him out of jealousy, ignored God's warning from this act. Um, but although it was through this act that he was made righteous by 
faith. And we wouldn't have known that without Hebrews. He was made righteous by faith. He was commended by God as righteous because he, by faith, offered the more acceptable sacrifice. And although this account in Genesis is only 17 verses long, it's used as an example of, again, horrific consequences when submitting to the temptation of sin, how injustice cries out from the ground, the dangers of that type of wrath and anger and sin, that hatred and the consequences we will have on earth with the same. We see here in Hebrews, we also see an example of salvation by faith. And in it, look how it ends here. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That through his faith, though dead, he still speaks. I love the end of this verse right here. Because it shows and reveals to us that through our faith, we can speak to others. We still speak through faith. Leonard Ravenhill, the author of the book When Revival Tarries, often said this about the late 70s, early 80s CCM musician Keith Green. Keith died a tragic and untimely death. And when Leonard Ravenhill did his funeral, he shared this specific verse and how Keith Green's prophetic convictional voice will still speak and make eternal impacts decades beyond and for eternity as his convictions and his constant faith in pointing others to Jesus Christ will still speak beyond his death. As I read that biography over this summer, it had me thinking and asking, have you ever considered how your faith can still speak when you're gone? So many things that you may intentionally try to pass on to others, whether it's parents to kids, you to friends, you want them to cheer for your same team, you want them to like this certain type of music, all these things that you want to go beyond yourself and pass to others. How important is it that it's your faith that still speaks beyond the grave for those to embrace that? You know, I do funerals often. And I think when doing that funeral at times, how is faith speaking today? The gospel will be preached whether they're a Christian or not, but how much louder it is when that life is backed up by its fruit. What a difference it has made with families and friends who are left behind. The comfort and peace that they have, the hope and joy and assurance that they give to others, your faith speaks longer than your life. Number two, by faith, Enoch escaped death. Verses five through six. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible, there's that word, to please him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know, we know very little about this Old Testament character, Enoch. In fact, many Hebrews commentaries express surprise that he's even mentioned here in comparison to many of the other names, right? 
there's only a few verses about Enoch, like two verses, two or three verses. All these verses says in, Hebrew, I mean, in uh, Genesis that he was 65 years old when he first became a dad. He walked with God for 365 years, fathering many sons and daughters. And that one time, this is the, these are the three verses, one time when walking with God, he was not there because God took him. That's it. That's his testimony. He was 65 when he started having kids. He fathered many sons and daughters for 365 years. And while walking with God, poof, he's gone. I mean, I love that testimony personally, right? Like, like walked with God, fathered many kids, all by one mom, same mom, not like Nick Cannon style, okay? God took me in the middle of a walk with him. And that miraculous ending, as we find out here in verses 5 through 6, is once again, why, how? By faith. That before this happened, here's those words again, Enoch was, here's this word, commended as having pleased God. How did he please God? All those kids? Nope. Um, they were blessings. They were gifts. But how did he please God? By faith. He had saving faith and was rewarded that commendation instead of condemnation or damnation by that faith. And he rewards those who seek him when it results in belief. That God accomplishes or makes possible the impossible, our salvation, or in Enoch's case, beating the impossibility of death. You know, we all can't escape death. You are going to die. What do they say? Death and taxes. It's going to happen. Two things for everyone. Enoch escaped it. How? By faith. Just like we escape it when we receive that same resurrection because of our saving faith in Jesus. Number three, by faith, Noah built the ark. Verse seven. This one's a bit tougher to miss for even the world has noticed the faith needed and displayed by Noah in this famous story. And believe me, the Bible's description is much, much better than Steve Carroll's Oscar-worthy film, Evan Almighty, okay? Look at what it says about the faith of Noah. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, God condemned the world, and, and then Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes, there's those two words again, by faith. It was through Noah's saving faith that he was able to produce such fruit of obedience and righteousness that gave him favor from the Lord and protection from God's wrath through the flood. And we not only see that Noah was saved in his faith, as we discussed in the Gospel and Genesis sermon series a few years back, but outside of the justification part, it also speaks to our needed obedience and trusting and obeying God with certain things in our life that are unseen and even when it is mocked by the world around us. As I joked about that film, it at least did a good job of showing how crazy it would seem to everyone around you when you were building this large, magnificent boat, no rain in sight, and telling the world, the rain is coming and everything will be destroyed unless you come here. And everybody's going to be looking at you like you are an idiot. Oh, it's one of the faith people. 
And listen, that living and walking by faith, that's going to happen in your life. Every day, having to act and live with others, thinking that you're crazy, but believing God and his word over them. Have you ever felt that way? Trust and obeyed God in such ways? If not, you must question, am I truly living by faith? Because that will happen with our faith and most of what God's word has to say. Trust and obedience and living out God's commands and what it takes to pursue holiness over the world. Everything from saving sex for marriage and battling lust and what God has to say about homosexuality or the exclusivity of Christianity. Certain ethics and convictions that the world's going to think you are crazy, but you're going to say, by faith, I believe in what God's word has to say and be obedient to it. Even if the world mocks me, like in the time of Noah, but by faith, I will walk and live. Fourth, by faith, Sarah conceived at an old age to fulfill God's promise. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. For those who are not familiar with this story, Sarah is the wife of Abraham who was given a promise that through his children will come the future Messiah, will come uh, uh, the promises fulfilled, and through that righteous ear will come the gospel. And Sarah, who was of an age that she believed and most others around her, she cannot get pregnant. And listen, we have to go back to Genesis to kind of read this account for like kind of full scope context here. This is the conversation between her, Abraham, and God when saying that she's going to get pregnant at an age where it was impossible by scientific standards for her to be pregnant. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord, Lord here is talking, she's talking about Abraham, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So that proof had shown that it's not just for kids, it's pleasurable as well with the marriage. Okay? And so she's like, shall I have this? Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And now look at Sarah's response. She first laughs, like, no way, I'm going to get pregnant at this age. Now verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And then God says, he said, no, but you did laugh. This is like an exchange with my middle school daughter or son, okay? I saw you. No, you didn't. You know, like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did, right, okay? That's an exchange between her and God after that. And get this, all for who, one who has a tough time to believe what seems impossible, to feel like I have to see it to believe it, who has a hard time to trust and obey who's struggled a plenty in times of doubt and disbelief and failed at faith. Hey, listen, you are in good company for Sarah has done the same. That in the end, she did have faith, although she struggled, although she didn't believe and even laughed at God when hearing this. But in the end, he fulfilled what he promised. In the end, she had faith, as it says here. Fifth, by faith, Abraham sought the promised land by trusting in God's promise. Look at verses 8 through 10. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed what he was called to go out to a place that he was able to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You read that and you must ask, who leaves one home and country without knowing where they are going? giving up their home and country for temporary tents and to be treated as a foreigner. I read this and I can't but help to think my, my parents are uh, uh, most likely going to be leaving their residence of Florida that they've had for the last several years to, to move up here and all of the logistics that's involved with their home, with moving here, finding another home, how to be able to move and all those different things. Nobody just gets up and goes, Right? And that's exactly what he does. He leaves his home to be in a place where he's looked upon as a foreigner. He has to set up tents and not know exactly where he's going. Who does that? One who trusts that the Lord is going to lead them. One who has faith. One who, as it says here in verse 10, looks forward to a better city, one that God designed and built one that has foundations because God promised him and Abraham trusted and believed that God would fulfill his promises. And that doesn't always look like what we think it will look like as verse 13 indicates. Because look at verse 15. By faith, not only he, but we receive a better home and country. Verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them. A city. It says here that they died in faith, not receiving what they had promised. You might ask, how is that the case? And it explained as such, Abraham, Sarah, they all knew that they were just strangers and exiles on this earth. That they were seeking a home like we all do. And we very much get it imperfectly here. Although there are still shadows of it, beautiful shadows of it. But by faith, as we read here, we receive it. As it says, God is not ashamed to be called our God, and he is preparing a true and better home and country for us. And we receive it by faith. Seventh and last of all, it's by faith. Abraham was ready to offer up his only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice to God. Before reading verses 17 through 19 in conclusion, 1600s theologian and Puritan John Owen wrote in his Hebrews commentary 30 pages of commentary over these three verses. He was absolutely stunned and amazed at the faith of Abraham. Listen to what these three verses says. And by faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up 
sacrificing his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And what is probably the toughest test of faith? I mean, picture this. Abraham, who loves God, who's trusting God, who's already taken these steps to leave his home for the promised land, who's already witnessed and seen how God fulfilled his promise to Sarah, getting pregnant at an age where women couldn't. And by faith, he is being asked by God to sacrifice and kill his own son, his one and only son who through the promises that God made is supposed to come, the future Messiah, Jesus. And you hear that, and one, even to trust and do it, as one, it goes against the promises that God has made. Two, it seems to go against the character that God has. And yet, Abraham had a faith. And what is, again, probably the toughest test of faith. And that's how we know it's a test. Because it says here in Hebrews, he was asked to sacrifice his one and only son. And yet, he walked up that hill by faith to the point where he knew that if it happened, God would even raise him from the dead, that he is still good. And like Abraham, our faith will be tested. Perhaps the better word in the Greek here is proved. That God will continue to test or prove our faith like Abraham here to see if we'll put him before all other things and idols to show us that he'll provide, that to bless our obedience, that God still gives us hard tests, knowing that when we pass, it will increase our faith. Because listen, church, as we conclude, we need faith. You need faith. We all have it, but I ask, what do you have faith we need trust and belief, hope and assurance and something more because the present is not enough. You are not enough. There's too much sin within ourselves or in this world, too much sadness, too much hardships, too many trials. And we need to not just be reminded, but be assured that there is more to this life and throw ourselves at that in faith to live by that, to rest in that. And it is not just faith in anyone, in anything or something. That's idolatry. But it is only by faith in Jesus Christ, the future Messiah of these Old Testament saints and the fulfilled Messiah that we know and have. It wasn't just tested faith. But here, it was a shadow of Jesus from his resurrection to God sacrificing his one and only son like Abraham was about to, to Jesus being our substitutionary sacrifice like the ram was in the story of Isaac and Abraham. It points to our needed faith in the gospel of Jesus.